thank you for tuning in to Trevor Talks Podcast, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. Today, we have a guest that I know that you all know and love because he's the most requested interview that we've ever had. He is a father, husband, author, and most notably, the front man of the Grammy-nominated rock band Skillet. He recently released his first book, Awaken Alive to Truth, Finding Truth in the Chaos of a Relativistic World. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got John Cooper in the house. John, thank you so much for being here. This is awesome. Yeah, what is up? I'm a real person with real stories, so yes. I'm, glad to, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> we, it, it, it's just mind-boggling. When we first started the show, I put out a thing saying, uh, what guests do we want? Like, who do you want to hear from? And the most requested guest was John Cooper. So here Ooh. we are a year later. We just celebrated the one-year anniversary, and we've got John Cooper on the show. So there we go. Wow, that, that is actually, uh, I'm, I'm shocked to hear that. But congratulations, one year, man. It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work doing these things. So it's wonderful that you've been persevering, getting the message out, helping people. I'm sure it's been a huge encouragement to people, especially during such a hard year. It's It's been yeah. a revolutionary year in lots of different ways. <laughs> yeah, and within the last year, you've started a podcast as well. You've got Cooper Stuff. And uh, you've made a lot of headlines recently with your new book. You got a K-Love Award for your new book. Um, congratulations on that. But I, I really want to touch, like, not as much on the accolades, but you as a real person. Like, what prompted you to write this book? Yeah, sure. Let's see. You know, it, it, there's a, a really long version. I'll tell you the medium. I'll give you the medium version. <laughs> um, well, because it, it actually is kind of pertinent uh, because – the truth is, is that, you know, the idea for the book started a couple of years ago, about three years ago, but really it started back in 2012. 2012 is when I began noticing all of the crazy shifting that was happening in culture. You know, all of the, the, the you turn on, you turn on the news or um, even a preacher or you go to church or you hear a Christian influencer and you would begin to hear these words and phrases that, that you hadn't really heard before. And you weren't sure if they meant something or is it just that I just don't know the, the cool new words. Or when somebody says, I shared my truth, does that actually mean something? Or is that just a new cool way to say, uh, I told my story? You, you know what I mean? Is that just, is that, does that mean anything? And I started getting the distinct uh, feeling this actually means something. I just don't know what it is. Preachers are saying things that were beginning to be very clouded. They're, they kind of sound like truth, but they kind of sound clouded in new terminologies. And I just had a sense that something was off. And so in 2012, I began studying a lot, reading a lot, trying to get to the bottom of what I felt was happening in culture. And it was around 2016 15, when I really began to go, okay, I think I, I think I figured out what's going on for my brain anyway. And it, I remember I, I ended a book, I was in bed, finished a book and I closed it. And I looked at my wife, uh, Corey, and I said, Cor, I can't believe it took me four years to figure this out. But we live in a world that does not believe in truth anymore. I didn't know that. It shouldn't have taken me four years, but it did. I didn't know. We, we live in a postmodern world, <clears throat> and I began to understand all these different facets. And that is when I started thinking, what could I do to encourage Christians in their faith 
so they're not thrown to and fro. Now, there's a really emotional element to this as well, to be honest, which was that part of the reason I was so obsessed was not just because I was confused of what was happening. Part of the reason I got so obsessed is because it had an emotional toll on me. I had friends fall away from their faith in Christ that I never thought would fall away. I never even crossed my mind. It was a possibility. I had friends who left their wives, had an affair. I had uh, friends who did not leave their wives, but both the husband and the wife walked away from Christ and decided to start an open marriage. I have another friend from my church that fell away from Christ and started a cult in her own house, started her own religion because God came to her in a vision with new revelation. Um, I don't even know where to start. It's so bananas. So it took a personal toll on me and I wanted to write a book to hopefully help people along the way, but, uh, and to talk about the truth of the word of God that never changes. It's the reason everybody's thrown to and fro. If you anchor in, if you anchor into the word of God, you will be unshakable because the word of God never changes. And that's what the book is about. Mm. And it's, it's almost as if it's written just for real people, you know, it's so easy to read. And even the title awake and alive to truth. When you read it, you're just like, Hmm, what kind of truth is this guy talking about? Because of course you've got the rock star look people when they see you, they're probably not, Oh, he's a Christian. But then when they see your actions and the way you speak and you are just in tune with the Holy spirit. And for me, like, even reading the book and listening to some interviews that you've done on it, it, it really does make sense that we do live in a world where people are letting their emotions dictate them over truth. Um, and even in my personal life, I've seen people just starting to create their own version of Christianity, if that makes sense. And they they feel, oh, well, this is how I feel, so this is how I'm going to live, and this is how I'm going to preach to people as well, because it makes me feel good, so it must be true. And it's just simply not true. And for you to come out and say, you know, like, you have a very successful career in the mainstream and in the Christian world. You do headline festivals with Slipknot and everyone else, and then you'll also do Winter Jam, and God's using you in that way. Um, so for you to come out and say like, Hey, this isn't correct. Like, um, it's really humbling to see somebody actually standing up for truth. And with uh, the pandemic happening over the last year, for the first time in 23 years, you were forced to stay in for a whole year from touring, from all of those things. How did that affect you? Were you excited to get back out? What do you feel like God used that to grow your family even stronger? I can imagine like being on the road so much with your family, you're not used to being in those closed quarters um, all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it definitely um, is definitely different. You know, I think for me and Corey, we got very involved in our church, local church. Now, we've always been involved in our local church, which is something that I've always been kind of quite vocal about, because um, I do think in the Christian music industry, uh, not just the music industry, but even the Christian, what would you call it, itinerant pastor or preacher. And and what I mean by that, of course, for anybody listening doesn't know what I mean. I mean, people that have ministries that aren't tied to a local body, right? Uh, to a local body, uh, 
you know, church, if you will, and they go out and they do ministry and, and this and the other, but but they're not really rooted into relationship and community. That's a real danger. And I've always been outspoken about that because what happens is that you become an island, you know, you get out there and you do your own thing and then you start to to only listen to your own voice rather than having other voices in your life. So I've always been a big believer in the local body, but because we were home, as you said, for a full year, I was like, okay, we're here. I want to be used by God. And we, we just threw ourselves into our local body and, and I really enjoyed it. My wife and I, we, uh, we led our young adults group at our church and uh, there was a need there. And I was like, well, we're home. We can do it for five or six months. And we saw so much fruit. It was so exciting. Um, Another good thing about the break for me was just kind of removing my skillet, my skillet hat, if I can, and then putting on my sort of culture warrior hat for the kingdom Mm. is that we're we're at a real uh, fault lines a, a fault line earth shattering situation in the church in America and a lot of these fault lines they are theological but they're really not being driven by theology they're they're being driven by uh, politics they're being driven by um more what I would call uh, I would call social justice ideology now, I don't mean Christian social justice because there is biblical social justice, but but we're not talking about that. We're talking about social justice ideology, which is more of a movement, more of a religious movement, actually. So with all of that coming into the church, that shaking was ramped up in a huge way, not just by the uh, by 2016 election, but then as things progressed, we obviously uh, had the pandemic and the pandemic reveals a lot of of the that intersection of social justice ideology then you had george floyd then you had um the blm protest and then i will say as a separate event some people wouldn't say it's separate you have blm protest but then you have the what i would call the uh, uh more of the riot side of the blm protest some it's hard to keep some of these things separate but some people get offended if you don't say certain things so some of those things turn violent you have that whole thing and then you have a new election, so a presidential election. There's so much being involved in there that it was a great time for me to be off the road, to be honest, because I could really delve into more study and more reading than I would have had a chance to do. And I think that that we're finding the church being shaken up in incredible ways. And as you said, I do believe there's a church split happening in America on lots of different fronts, and one of those major fronts would be what I would call progressive Christianity, as you kind of alluded to. You, you just kind of said, almost yeah. like starting your, well, that's not the way that I read the Bible. <laughs> that, you know, that's not the God that I know. I kind of like this better. And then they're kind of creating a new religion that's not really Christianity. That's happening all over the nation, um, all over the world to a degree. But But America is the most, I guess you would say, Christianized nation, if you want to look at it in that way. So it's been a, a very upheaval time, and there needs to be a revival in the church. We desperately need a revival within the church of Christians who realize that, that we have not, as a body, built our lives on the Word of God. Mm. And if we can have a revival in the church of true repentance, 
I believe that revival will spill out in, into the society and the, and the culture. Man, and y'all had some pretty uh, violent stuff happen about three blocks from your house. Um, and instead of, I mean, you put out a video um, sharing about what was going on, but then you were out in the community. Uh, some band members were out painting over some of the boards and such and really serving the community. So you stood your ground, you said what needed to be said, but then you also went out and made sure the community was safe. You were protecting your family, but you were also making sure everyone else felt loved. Where was the transition for that? Because I know... Uh, you were probably pretty defensive when that stuff started happening so close to your house. Where was that line for you? Like uh, you had compassion, right. but you also were like, I'm ready to protect my family if that's what needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. All of this stuff, Christians are very divided on a lot of these things. And I, I can understand that to, to a degree. But what I do think that we have not done very well um, in, in America and the church I think partially because we've never had to <laughs> is that we haven't really done a great job of teaching what the civil government is supposed to do. What the Bible says that, you know, right now that a lot of Christians say things like Jesus says we're supposed to help the poor. And so the government needs to whatever they don't understand that they are, they are crossing um, incorrect theological lines. And some of those theological lines would be, for instance, Jesus does care about the poor. The church has a mandate, okay, a mandate from God to care for the poor. Uh, that is not an option. That's a command. You, you do it if you're a Christian. The church is supposed to do that. But that's not for the civil government to care for the poor. That's for the church to do. And so you have all these different things that we haven't really discussed within Christendom Honestly, in a couple of centuries, to be honest, because we haven't had to. And part of that also is dis is the idea of of um, violence and defending your family and this, that, and the other. And I've, tr I've tried to be consistent about it. For instance, I called out the BLM violence because I, I believe it's wrong. But I also called out the January 6th violence as well because I believe it's wrong. It's, it's about having principles that are based on the Bible. So for me, it was compassion that you don't it's compassion for people who are truly hurting but it, you also cannot endorse chaos you can't endorse lawlessness that's actually what the devil promotes <laughs> i mean i know that might sound sound trite but it's, it's true that's what the devil promotes god is a god of order and satan comes into god's order and he distorts it a little bit so that it goes outside of God's design, and then it becomes something that is disorderly. And if it is outside of God's design, then it is by nature satanic, right? God's rule versus Satan's rule. So I look at these things, and I say, hey, I don't want any, anybody to get hurt, but we've got our city b being burned down, and a lot of Christians supporting it, frankly, a lot of Christians saying, you got to understand, you know, that's not people's property, that's their that's business. And, and then some Christians are saying, well, God doesn't want us to own property. And I'm just like, dude, I, I love you, but you need to read your Bible and understand a thing before you start running your mouth. Uh, God would not have given us a commandment not to steal if <laughs> it wasn't okay to own something. You can't, <laughs> there is no such thing as stealing if you don't own a thing. It's just read your Bible, understand a thing before you're so quick to start speaking, that's something that really frustrates me about culture today. 
writing their own truth. Now, um, what do you feel about the book that is most um, resonating with people uh, when people come to you now, hopefully at shows and in airports and such, if they bring up the book, what is, what's the biggest thing that you feel that mm. they're grasping onto? I think I would say there's two things. Um, you said earlier that the book was readable. I'm glad to hear that. I, I hear that from most people, and I, I'm personally happy about that. I'm not um, an intellectual. I'm not. Um, I don't have a college degree. I don't have a Bible degree. Um, I'm not an academic person, but I love the Bible, and I tell people that this book <laughs> is. I call it theology for dummies. Uh, because I consider myself to be a little bit of a dummy, but you don't have to be smart to understand the word of God. You don't have to be intellectual for God to give you wisdom and insight. That's an amazing thing that is very different about, uh, Jesus, right. Than what the religious elites were like. Jesus is like, you know, Hey, come follow me, you know, fishermen. <laughs> it's, he's not choosing the, the smartest, most religious elite people. And you don't have to be intellectual to understand the Bible. God, in fact, the, uh, the Bible says the Holy Spirit, namely, of course, Holy Spirit is God, but the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. That's something that God will do, whether you think you're a smart person or not. So my book, I hope, it, it it's just a way for normal people to understand the Bible. I would say the two most impactful things are, you mentioned one of them, which would be the idea of not trusting your emotions. And now that doesn't mean that we can't get emotional about God. I love to get, emo- I am emotional about God almost every time I talk about him. And uh, it doesn't mean we can't shout and dance and get loud for Jesus. I love all of that stuff, right? It just means that you don't, build your truth upon that emotion, because there may be times when that emotion wanes in whatever. Uh, um, I I don't mean that I have faith that my emotion for God will wane. You're going to have ups and downs in life, and your emotions can lead you to really bad places, right? So your emotions have to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ, through the word of God. And I think that I did an okay job of explaining that in the book. And I, and I've, I've had a lot of people talk to me about that. Probably also because people know that I am charismatic. I do believe in, in the ongoing work of the Holy spirit, having somebody that is charismatic say, Hey, put your emotions in check is probably helpful for some people, maybe more than, <laughs> more than a cessationist saying, put your emotions in check. Like, Hey, I'm on the team. I'm on your team, but we need to get our emotions in check under the word of God. I think the best thing that I did in the book, frankly, I have a chapter about original sin. Mm-hmm. I think it's the best chapter of the book because I think a lot of Christians have not been taught that you were born into sin. That's that that's just the way that it is. You have a bent towards wickedness and you are going to do wicked things without without. The, the Holy Spirit, without redemption, without being made brand new in Christ Jesus, you are going to do wicked things. In fact, everything you do is going to be wicked. You'll be driven <laughs> by a pursuit of your own flesh. And that's something that, frankly, that the, in my opinion, that the reformers had an incredible grasp on. I think the reform theology, I am reformed in my theology as well. Um, um, I guess you would call me reformed and charismatic, probably. I think the reformers have the best 
understanding of how wicked the heart is. And I think a lot of Christians have not been taught that, and they, they don't understand that. And if you don't have a deep understanding of your wickedness, then you can't have a deep understanding of the grace of God that has set you free with something that you did not deserve, that you could not earn, and he has made you a brand new creation. So I think the more deeply you understand that sin, the more deeply you have joy in the work of Christ in your life. And I think that I, I think that's probably the, the best chapter in the book, in my opinion. Amen. And I as well believe the Holy Spirit still moves to this day. A uh, prime example of that is when in 2010, I was uh, flipping through cable and I saw a WWE commercial and it was for a event called Hell in a Cell. And it had a monster playing on it. And that was the <laughs> first time I was like, oh, that sounds great. And I remember going to like a desktop in the house and typing in on YouTube, skillet monster clean, because I was like, it's so good. There has to be some kind of cussing in it, right? So <laughs> I look it up and I, it was before Awake came out and I fell in love with it and I was in a crossroads moment in 2010. So it was either I was going to walk in a way that pleases the Lord or I wasn't. And I'm only 23, so I was a child then. Still am to a certain extent. But I had that moment and God really used that as an intro to show me um, the ministry that you and your wife and the rest of the band have. And it personally impacted me in such a way um i would say for the past decade like even being reminded of the message and having the nostalgia of like uh i remember i'd be mowing the lawn and i'd have a wake playing on a loop and um i'm pretty <laughs> sure i funded the kids college fund and merch <laughs> um allowance and such and uh the first concert i got to pick to go to was atlanta fest just to see skillet and um that was like, I knew from that point, like um, I went to Winter Jam to see you guys and Nick Hall was speaking and I was like, mom, I think that's what I want to do. I feel like that's what I want to do. And from that point, um, I started following Nick and then I ended up interning with Pulse for three years and up into together 2016. And uh, I like started having panic attacks my senior year of high school, right? And so I'm touring with Pulse in high school, um, and then I started having panic attacks, and I just put a hard stop on everything. I let the enemy attack me. For three years of my life, I deleted all social media. I quit touring to promote, and I didn't do any blogs, videos, nothing. I just let the enemy attack me in that way, and I started working for AT&T and uh, put that whole side of my life on hold. And uh, then in 2018... I had a very, very, very clear revelation with the Holy Spirit. And it's like, you really want to live this way for the rest of your life? Is this mm. is this what you feel like I've called you to do? And I'm like, no. And then um, some very dear friends were like, yeah, like maybe, maybe you should press into that, press into that, challenging me. And um, God brought me through it through therapy and really just seeking to heal from traumas and um, to kick the enemy's butt. And ever since that point, you know, I still struggle with that mental health aspect. But at the same time, because of the seeds that were planted in my life as a young kid, 
I know that there's an overcomer story there. I know that everyone's always rooting for the underdog, even when you are the underdog and you feel like you can't pursue these things in life because you have depression or anxiety. And I hate it when people say my depression, my anxiety, it's not yours. That's demonic. It's a spirit like rebuke it. It, you don't have to live that way. And it's not like Benny Hinn's going to come slap you in the face, one and done, you're healed. Um, of course, God and the Holy Spirit can do that, but it, it doesn't mean that's going to be what happens every single time. But all that to say, I know firsthand that the ministry that you guys um, do on a daily basis impacts people because it was one of those keys that uh, the Holy Spirit used to lead me on this path that I'm in now. And um, even through the pandemic and the protests and everything, a perfect anthem for that would be the album Rise, um, which just kind of summarizes like we're living in a very dark world at this standpoint. And how can we get through that? Like tonight we rise, like, let's go. Um, we're sick of it. Throw it in the air, you know. And um, so your ministry just from like now being able to interview you, I called my mom. I was like, hey, John Cooper's finally going to be on the show. And she's like the skillet guy and i was like yeah and she's like well tell him he owes me some money for all those concerts i took it to i was like we're not doing that. i'll do that but but all that to say like god's used you so much even in my life um and several millions of other people god's just used your ministry and um it's just amazing to see what all he's doing in your life now. Like you've grown over the past 10 years, like you've been touring for 23, but it wasn't always the glitz and glamor. Everyone assumes uh, for rock shows. Everyone's like, I want to go backstage and you go backstage and it's a bunch of brick walls and dressing rooms. You don't, there's not really much going on back there um, except for people trying to do their best to live their day-to-day -day life and get through the day. Um, I know, people in the rock industry that stay depressed all the time that don't know Jesus. And I know people that are just full of the Holy Spirit. Um, you, Lacey and Josh Sturm, uh, so many people that just let the Holy Spirit lead the conversation and lead the movement, lead the music. And you've, you've grown in your mind, obviously, and then to become an author and piece everything into a book. But What's your life story? I've heard bits and pieces of it from um, the challenges you had with losing your mom to cancer and not being able to listen to rock music as a child. What's the whole story behind John Cooper? The whole story. Well, that's such a uh, uh, thanks for sharing all that with me. That's just amazing to me. Um, and yes, agreed. God does amazing things, right? You could never, <laughs> there's no other explanation for it. It's not rational. It's God doing what God is going to do to accomplish his purposes. And I just think that is so cool. Um, let's see my story. So, um, my parents are Christians. My mom, uh, was a like Jesus freak, Jesus fanatic. My mom would, I mean, ever since I was a kid. My mom would talk to everyone about Jesus everywhere we went, okay? <laughs> and so, you know, I remember all the way back to two, three years old, I just remember my mom praying with me and my, my elder brother, um, Bible study. You know, I had to sit there at the table while my mom did Bible study with my older brother before he went to school when I was, what, three years old. It just, I just have some of that those memories. My mom was a piano teacher. And voice teachers, there was always music, always preaching, always Bible study, always memorizing scriptures ever since I was young. So I can't ever remember a time 
where I didn't believe in God. But I gave my life to Christ when I was five. I was in my room at night alone. I wrote about this in my book. And um, I basically gave my life to Christ alone in my room. And um, it was really funny because the next day, my mom sat me down. She said, John, I want to talk to you about something. I want to talk to you about giving your life to Jesus. And I said, I did that in my room last night. And she was like, John, don't lie. <laughs> I was like, I'm not lying. I was alone. I, and I, I heard this voice in my head that said, I had to give my heart to Jesus. And I did. I asked him to be my boss. And, um, you know, it's a whole thing. Anyway, so I don't really remember a time where I didn't uh, believe in God. God has been so great to me. And I always, I, I, I always, let's say it like this. I never had a time in my life where I doubted that he was real. And I know a lot of people do. And, and I'm not saying that that, that that makes me better. I just think God's grace in my life was different. It was a different kind of a calling. And I've never doubted that. But certainly, you know, I had really hard times. My mom got sick with cancer when I was in sixth grade, and she fought cancer off and on for about three years. And she died when I was 15. That was the hardest time of my life after her death. My dad got remarried, and me and my dad began fighting. And, you know, I just I didn't think anyone understood me. I didn't feel that I had anyone to talk to. I felt alone. I would talk to God at night in, in my room, and I didn't feel that he was listening, to be frank. I knew he was listening, but I didn't feel like he was listening. And my life was terrible, I felt. And um, basically, it was at that time that I began, and I wrote about this in the book, there was actually a specific night in which I basically asked God if he would be a friend to me. And I know that might sound silly to some people because a lot of us, hopefully if we have good theology, we already know that Jesus is a friend. But I didn't, um, I didn't understand that. Maybe that's a good way to say it. I might have known it was true, but I wasn't feeling that it was true. I knew he was my Lord. I knew he was my Savior. I knew he was listening, but I didn't feel like he was listening. And that was the night that I began to know Jesus as a friend that would not leave me, that would not forsake me, that I could talk to, that he would bear my burdens for me. It was an amazing thing, and it, it was a life-changing experience. And so um, when I got really serious with the Lord would have been a few years later when I was about 18 years old, uh, the week I graduated high school. The week I graduated high school, my life changed with the Lord, and I began to understand the Bible more, read the Bible more, and that is when I was like, you know what, my entire life is going to be dedicated to Christ. Whatever I do, I, I have grabbed a hold of, of the kingdom of God. The kingdom has me, and nothing else matters to me at all, and that was when the kind of radical you know, I kind of took on the John the Baptist mantle in my life, whatever you want to call that. That's when that happened. And uh, I, I was like, I've, nothing else matters to me. And so that's kind of me in a nutshell. I love that. And when did music come into play for you? Like, uh, I know you yeah. said you was a piano teacher. When did, when did you figure out like, huh, this is probably something I can do? I would say music. My mom was a piano teacher. I began taking piano lessons when I was about four or five. And and I'd already started singing before then. My mom was, you know, made me sing at church and things like that. And, um, 
you know, when you're young and like your parents tell you, you know, you're too good at fill in the blank to stop, you know, whatever that may be, piano or soccer, I don't know, whatever your story is. My mom would say, you're, you're too gifted to stop playing piano because I didn't really want to keep doing it. And I just thought, she's my mom. She, she says that to everybody. <laughs> she says that to all of her students. When I first heard rock music, my mom, I told my mom about it. My, and I wrote, oh, I did not write about this in my book. Excuse me, I, I did not. I've talked about it in so many interviews. I thought I did. <laughs> and I'm currently writing a new book in which I do talk about this. But I came home singing a Michael Jackson song. I heard Beat It at my friend's house. <laughs> And I came home uh, thinking my mom would love it because my mom loved music. And uh, my mom, she gave me the holiest butt whooping of all time for singing the devil's music. And I was like, the devil's music? What are you talking about? And so that began this sort of fight with me and my, my mom about rock and roll music. And so it was years later when I discovered Christian rock music. My friend gave me a Petra cassette tape. When I was in fifth grade, and I thought my mom would like it, and my mom, mom, she was she was more mad at the Christian rock than the secular rock because Christian rock was uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. Wow! So they were they were deceiving, and so it was even worse. And so all of that lasted for a long time. After my mom died, you know, she wasn't there to tell me I couldn't listen to Christian rock music. You know. And I did wrestle with that. I began writing my own songs when I was 15, 16 years old. I was singing in a band at that time. And I was wrestling with that. You know, is it, 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 the Bible says to honor your father and mother. What does that mean in this situation? And that was, that was something hard for me. And I guess I would say this, the end of that story for anyone who wants to know came down to me reading a scripture. Cause I do believe you should honor your father and your mother, right? I was reading this amazing passage. You remember this passage when Jesus tells someone to follow him and the guy says, okay, I will, but first let me go home and bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Pick up your cross and follow me. Like, no, I've commanded you to do something. You let the world do what the world's going to do and you follow me. I read that scripture and I was thinking when I was 18 years old, I was thinking, is that sort of like what God's calling me to do? Because I have a burning passion in my heart to play music. And I don't think it's just because that's what I want to do. I feel like that's a burning calling on my life to play music and to share the message of Christ through this music. I know that my dead mom wouldn't want me to do that. Is this an instance of me having to say, let the dead bury their own dead, and I'm going to follow the word of God? Because Jesus also said, any, any man that's not willing to you know, hate his mother and father is not, willing, is not uh, worthy of being called my disciple. I mean, these are, these are, in, these are really strong words from, from our Lord, right? And I think that in the end, I really believe that that would be a proper translation of those passages to me. I don't obviously I don't hate my mom and my, my, my dad. But what it means is that, yes, my mom and my dad have authority over me. But where does their authority come from? Their authority has to be under the authority of the king of kings. That's how he disperses authority. So if you're not willing to say yes to the ultimate authority, then you're not willing to be 
uh, then you're not worthy of being called my disciple. I think that was a proper rendering and application of that passage of scripture for my life. And that's what God used to give me a freedom to follow uh, uh, on that path to play music for him. Mm. And from that revelation, when did Skillet come into play for you? Only a couple of years later, I was um, I was already singing in bands, and I got very serious about singing in a band when I was nineteen. And uh, it was a Christian band, and uh, I never thought I would do it for a living. I was just very serious about it, you know, because I loved it, and I thought God could use it for this time. And I was in college, and I thought I'll I'll do this for the Lord while I'm doing it and he can use it. And we were doing a ton of evangelism. Skillet started as a side project of various bands because God was doing a real work in Memphis, Tennessee at this time. There must've been 30 local Christian bands all in Memphis. It, it was like this crazy outpouring of, of calling for Christian music. And so at this small church that I went to, there were several local Christian bands and my pastor had said, Hey John, I think that you would be good with this guitar player from another band. He said, what do you think about you guys doing a side project and writing some songs? And, uh, he said, Hey, it'd be like cooking, taking all these ingredients from all these different bands and throwing it on a big skillet. And then he said, you should call it skillet. That'd be, that'd be funny. And I was like, sure. <laughs> so that is how that kind of started. And, and God just blessed it. None of us were expecting God to bless it. But within about eight weeks, we were, we were signed. We were recording a record and we didn't even have, we didn't have enough songs to make an album at the time. So we were rushing writing songs. I was about 19 at the time, 20 perhaps. And when that started. Dude, the anointing is real. And from that point, you then went on to make several records before you really found that success. But once you did, um, somebody gave you an ultimatum pretty much. Hey, you could be the biggest band in the world. Just cut the faith aspect out of there. What was going through your mind at that point, And how did that shift your messaging? Like, did you go even harder for Jesus or was it just like, <laughs> keep doing what I'm doing? Or was there any kind of consideration? Um, what did that look like? Yeah, uh, I, I wrote about this in the book. It's in the, uh, the kind of prologue session, uh, section. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I shouldn't say it was an ultimatum because he, it's not like, it's not that he had the power mm -hmm. to give me all those dreams. All right. But he did say that he's like, look, this is what I believe. This is what a lot of people are saying. You, we think you could be the next biggest band in the world. Now, Look, I don't believe that I could have been the biggest band in the world, but that's what he was saying. But yeah, you need to stop talking about Jesus so much. What was really confusing about the conversation, and again, I shared this in the book, is that he wasn't saying, hey, John, deny Christ. He wasn't saying, deny your faith. Don't ever talk about Jesus. He was just saying, stop talking about it so much. Don't do Christian shows. Don't do Christian interviews. When somebody asks you what a song is about, don't start saying it's about my faith in Jesus. At the time, we had a song called uh, Hero, which you know because you cut your grass to it apparently all the time. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so Hero, people would ask me on these mainstream interviews, 
So who is your hero? And you know, they, they'd expect me to say whatever. And I'd say, oh, my hero is Jesus Christ. And I would explain it. And he's saying, stop doing that because it's, it's hurting your fan base. So, but then he added a twist on it. And he said, if you think about it, John, you can do more for your faith by listening to my advice. Because as your audience, you stop talking about Jesus. And as your audience grows, you can begin to, you know, imagine what you can do for the poor if you become rich and famous. Imagine the influence you could have if you become rich and famous and yada, yada, yada. So that was the only aspect of what he said. That there is some truth to that, right? There, there is an element of truth to what he's saying. And I did think, okay, I need to weigh this. I need to say, is God actually using this secular person? Is he actually speaking to the secular, you know, unsafe person? God can do that, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought about it for a few hours and I talked to my wife. And I was like, this is what he said. It just doesn't feel right to me. My wife is like, nope, doesn't feel right to me. And God made it so abundantly clear that even though there is an element of truth, Maybe there is an element of prudence. It's not the Lord's wisdom. You know, it might be a little bit of earthly prudence, but that is not the Lord's wisdom. And that was a defining moment for me, not because I was considering denying my faith or never talking about Christ, but it did make me think, could I, could I be smarter about this? And uh, so it was, it was a good it was a good time for us to put our feet down on the ground and say, no, we absolutely know who we are. And to, to not talk about Jesus, then there's no point to skill it. That's the entire point of me playing music is to share my faith in Christ. That's all that it is. You know, the Bible said, the disciples said it like this, how can we be silent of everything we've seen and heard? Remember, that's what, that's what the disciples said. How can we not tell the world what we've seen with this man, Jesus, that we, he died and rose from the dead. He did miracles and he healed the sick. And he, he even told somebody that he forgave their sins. How can we be silent about this? And you know what? No way we're going to be silent about Jesus. So it was, um, it was a defining moment. And I, I wrote about that. And certainly we've become even more vocal as the years have progressed. And and as a direct result of that, you write so much about finding hope in the struggles of life, including mental health and suicide. From comatose to the last night, hero, not going to die, and so forth, you and your band, wear your heart on your sleeves. Have you ever struggled with mental health, and how did you get through it? I have have never struggled with mental health problems. And I say that to, to be really clear on the front end, because we live in a society Uh, Let me say this. I have a lot of compassion for people who do. And if you listen to my music, one would assume that I have because I have a lot of compassion. So don't take this the wrong way. What I'm about to say, we do live in a society that prizes. um, um, Let's see. it It gives a certain sort of prize to victim status. And we live in a society where people want to say that they struggle with mental health, even if they don't, because it gives them a certain sort of identity or special, you know, whatever it it deserves, it deserves a special empathetic response. So I always want to be clear with people from the beginning. No, I have never struggled with what I would consider to be mental health problems. Having said that, 
in today's standards, uh, uh, pro- people would probably say, yes, you have. <laughs> uh, just, I just grew up in a different generation. But when I was 15, after my mom died, me and my dad fought. I used to not be able to sleep at night because I would be going through situations in my head. This is going to be dark. I hope you don't mind me sharing some of my darkness on on the air. Um, I would be going through situations in my head where I would be hurting people, where I would be causing literal physical harm against people who had been bad to me, Um, people that I thought deserved it, (laughs) frankly, people that treated me in certain ways. I wanted other people to feel what I was feeling. And I'm sharing that not because I'm proud of that. That that is demonic. That is the flesh. That is not the new nature in Jesus Christ. And I used to come up with these scenarios. You want to hear something even darker than that? I used to sometimes pray to someone in particular. I won't share who. I used to pray that that person would try to physically hurt me so that I could hurt them in a really deep way. And I used to fantasize about how I would do that. And I think that that's not a, that's, that's pretty dark stuff. I, in my songs, I draw on that experience and that intense loneliness that I felt because I felt abandoned after my mom died. And, and then my relationship with my father, I felt abandoned with my father. No one, none of my friends knew what I was going through. My friends loved me, but they just didn't understand. How can they? And that is the reason that I draw on that. And I write so many songs about loneliness. When you feel that not a single person in the world understands what you're going through. I write about that because it was in my bedroom at night alone in those fantasies that God began to do a work of the Holy Spirit in my life that literally took those fantasies away, that literally destroyed the work of the enemy in my life and gave me a joy that I never thought I could have, to be honest. I never I never thought I would live without that sort of anger and rage, frankly. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what Christ does. The Bible says righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit is the kingdom of God. Woof. Oh, I feel the anointing now. Come on. That's the word of God. So um, I always want to be clear. No, I didn't struggle. I am a natural optimist. I am a natural extrovert. I'm happy most all of the time, but I had a dark season in my life that I'm not proud of, that I do feel was incredibly demonic. And God saved me from it. And I still to this day, in fact, I have a new song coming out this year. This is the first interview I've shared this in. No one else knows it. You're hearing it right here on Trevor Talks. And I'm going to get emotional when I say it because I always get emotional about the Lord Jesus. But one of the lines in the chorus of the song says, um, I'm free of all the rage I thought would never leave. That's what Jesus did for me, and that's what Jesus will do for you people listening. I don't care where you're at. I don't care the rage you're feeling, the hopelessness you are feeling, the despair you are feeling. That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's the oppression that he died to save you from. That is the oppression of sin and the flesh and demonic activity. That's the work that Jesus died for, and he already 
bore that burden for you. He'll do the same thing for you. Man, I feel it too, man. Uh, Dang, man, that's awesome. But God's using you in such an amazing way. I feel like the best way to make you happy would be to give you a Dr. Pepper and a comic book or something. But (laughs) yes, uh, via Zencaster right now. But John, I want to honor your time. Thank you so much for joining us and really being open to do this interview. I know you're on tour right now, thank God, and have several projects probably in the works. I'm super excited to hear um, what music God breathes through your band and even Fight the Fury, some more metal. Let's go. Um, <laughs> just keep keep it up. Like If there's any kind of encouragement that I know that myself and uh, your fans that'll listen in, like we value you. We cherish everything that all the sacrifices you've made with uh, taking your family on the road and um, living life on a bus. I know firsthand it's not the most glamorous thing in the world. And you make that sacrifice 90% of the time, it seems like. So praise God for what he's doing through you, within you, within your family and all the lives that you're able to impact. It's truly an inspiration. And um, we're thankful for you. Well, I appreciate that so much, Trevor. Thanks. And I sure had a great time chatting. I should tell uh, everybody listening, if you do want to get the book, it's very hard to find. The best place to go is still my website, johnlcooper.com, johnlcooper.com. You can get it on Amazon. It's just tough to keep them stocked there because we're such a small business. So check Amazon or more than likely check my website. And I sure had a great time chatting with you today, man. Definitely. We're going to have the link in the description as well as your social media platforms to where if for some reason someone lives under a rock and never heard a skillet, it'll be there. But everybody that's listening in, thank you so much for tuning in. We want to say a special thank you to New Release today for making this episode happen. And I feel like it'd be dishonoring to not say thank you to Josh Sturm and uh, Billy Howell for helping connect this interview. And we will talk to you guys next week. Have you ever attempted to read the entire Bible? Did you do it or did you only make it part way? I'm John Stonge, and I host a podcast that will make it possible for you to make it through the entire Bible one chapter at a time. I've been hosting the Chapter a Day Audio Bible Podcast since 2015, and every single day of the week, I read one chapter of Scripture, then follow that up with a time of prayer. And if you're looking for daily insights and inspiration directly from God's Word, I hope you'll give the Chapter a Day Audio Bible a listen. You can find it at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.